0: Welcome to the Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in we got a packed show for you today. A little later, we're going to talk with Yona Jeremy Bob. He's an intelligence, terrorism, and legal analyst for the Jerusalem Post. He is in town today speaking in Detroit. He's going to talk to us about the state of things in the Middle East, the state of terrorism in places like Syria and Iran, the relationships between Israel and the United States, given the changes that the Trump administration has brought to town, all kinds of things that we will discuss with him. You're going to want to tune in for that. And at the end of the show today, we're going to have Andalisi, a uh, host of Essential Music here on WDET, into the studio to talk about the 15th anniversary of Eminem's hit song, Lose Yourself, which won the Academy Award for Best Song, Uh, the first hip-hop song to win an Oscar. So you're also going to want to stay tuned for that. Also remember, if you've got to rush off to work right now or otherwise step away from your radio, you don't have to miss out on the great conversations here on Detroit Today. All you got to do is go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. You download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and you can take us with you, listen to us when you Are ready. Up first today, the five living former presidents appeared together recently to help with hurricane relief efforts. But that's not the only thing that has brought the three Democrats and two Republicans together. There also seems to be a shared unhappiness with the current president and the direction he is taking the country. A few days ago, both President Obama and President George W. Bush spoke out, without naming President Trump directly, of course, but they spoke out against his worldview and his political. Approach. It also didn't seem like coincidental timing. It seemed like the messages were coordinated. How strange is this to see a former president or a series of former presidents so clearly criticizing a current one, let alone a president of the same party, and let alone seeing multiple former presidents sending this message together? I wanted to start the show there today and here to talk to us about that is Jeffrey Engel. He is the director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist Methodist University. He's the author of a forthcoming book, When the World Seemed New, George H.W. Bush and the End of the Cold War. Jeffrey Engel, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, good to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, So I I have uh, been fascinated by George W. Bush's speech since he gave it last Thursday. I actually wrote a column about it over the weekend sort of pointing out the, the, the distinctions he's drawing there uh, between uh, himself and Donald Trump in the context of republicanism, in the context of conservatism. I think that's one of the really interesting things there is he's basically saying that uh, there's nothing conservative or republican about the things that we're seeing out of the current administration. But But what I want to talk to you about is the abnormality here. Uh, the, the At least in terms of the modern presidency, this idea that you leave office and sort of keep your mouth shut. You stay to yourself. You go off and do the things that you want to do. But you don't say anything about uh, about you, you, the, the, your successors. Uh, I, I think about the last eight years in particular, uh, when President Obama was in the White House, George W. Bush didn't have anything to say about the many di- things that uh, obama did that that i'm sure george w bush didn't agree with so this idea that he is now moved to speak out i think is really significant
1: yes i completely agree i mean the fact that we have a former republican president uh, criticizing a sitting Republican president is the, all the more remarkable. I mean, it really reveals to us just how much there is, of course, a civil war going on in the Republican Party today. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to, to have sort of a back back of the envelope uh, axiom, if you will, that, that presidents not so much wouldn't criticize their predecessors, but that they would do two things, that they would, first of all, hold off for about a year before pretty much saying anything, Mm -hmm. um, which, to be honest, is more a sign of the fact of how exhausted they would be at the end of their terms Mm -hmm. more than the fact that they were trying to stay out of the political fray. And then the second thing is that we very rarely see a former president criticizing, as, as George W. Bush did, the entire presidency. Of a successor, the entire worldview of a successor, a character of the successor. Typically, uh, when presidents have spoken out, it's been about specific issues, not about the man who
0: followed them. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know this this former presidents club, I guess uh, you might you might call it, is of course the most exclusive club in in our country, uh, and and there are not a lot of people in it uh, by design. But but talk about that that sort of. Uh, relationship, the relationships that sort of emerge after the presidencies, they look really different. I think generally uh, than they do when 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 someone is in office, and that's another thing that I think uh, separates what we're seeing with with Donald Trump from what we've seen with with former uh, with, with former presidents. This sort of working together, uh, talking together, appearing together, uh, now doing that in concert. Uh, to to criticize the the person who's in the office now I mean it it, it again raises it to this extraordinary level
1: it is very unusual and and the president former presidents really do form as you said an exclusive club um, for for the one significant reason which can't be overlooked beyond anything else which is there are very few people in the world usually you can count them on less than one hand, mm-hmm. uh, who can honestly say that they understand what a president goes through, who can honestly say, yes, I know what it's like to control nuclear weapons. Yes, I know what it's like to deal with Congress. Yes, I know what it's like to, to live in the the bubble that is the, the White House. Um, so typically, at the very least, these gentlemen have offered – a modicum of respect for each other because they can open up to each other. The presidents, when they leave office, are still entitled to intelligence and security briefings, for example. And that's not only a sign of uh, done out of respect, it's also done because traditionally, Sitting presidents have called their predecessors to ask for advice, or I like to think of it more as to talk things out, to talk things through, because that they know when they are going through the various and sundry issues and debating really, really difficult questions, they can do that out loud with a former president, and when that person says, I understand – they'll know that they understand. Right. So it's a really remarkably exclusive club. Yeah.
0: Uh, this is Detroit Today. I'm 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Jeffrey Engel. He's the director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University. He's the author also of a forthcoming book, When the World Seemed New, George H.W. Bush and the end of the Cold War. We are talking about the criticism that is being leveled by former presidents at current President Donald Trump. Uh, Something of an extraordinary instance uh, that we're witnessing right now. Normally, uh, former presidents don't Uh, They sort of hold their tongues uh, with regard to their successors and the job that they're doing. Uh, Both President Obama and President George W. Bush, though, have spoken out recently about their dissatisfaction with the job that President Trump is doing. If you want to join the conversation, tell us what you thought about what George W. Bush or President Obama said about Donald Trump last week, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. So That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we will try to work you in the conversation. Uh, let us know what you think about the idea, just the very idea of former presidents talking about the current president. Is that something they should be doing? Uh, is that something that's helpful even to the national dialogue? Or is that a sandbagging of, of a sort? Is it—is it making it more difficult to sort through the things that the president needs to do again. The number is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Jeffrey, I want to ask you about history here. Uh, right now, we've got five former living former presidents who are living, which I, I think is is a record. I think uh, in, in United States history. Uh, but if you go back to the beginning of the country, and think of the founders uh, who wound up in the presidency. My, my memory of that and my, my memory of the stuff that I've read about that says that it was a little more common then uh, to be critical of the, the, the president who comes after you, partially because the presidency was very different than, than it is now. But, but talk about sort of over time how that's evolved into a more, uh, a more cooperative group, I guess, and, sure. and less, less likely to, to criticize each other. Sure.
1: Well, you know, everything that we need that we're discussing today needs to be put in a big framework of understanding that these are unwritten rules. There is nothing in the Constitution that prohibits a former president from doing basically anything, honestly, until recently, except for running for president again. Right. Um, and consequently, uh, there's actually was a, a, a real sense in the first years of the Republic that uh, because Any American, the idea went, any American who was eligible to vote, it's obviously a small subset of the population at that time, but any American could rise up to be an elected representative or even president. Any citizen could do that. There was basically a notion that when people leave the presidency, they become common citizens Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was actually quite common for presidents in those days to discuss, to write, to uh, pose questions to their predecessors, to write letters criticizing their predecessors, But there is a fundamental difference between the early 1800s and today, which is that if John Adams made a, a speech that was critical against one of his predecessors or wrote a letter or wrote a letter to the editor, um, relatively few people would see it in, in, a, lo- in a short period of time. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Today, of course, you know, uh, no matter where you are around the country, you might have gotten a, a tweet on your phone saying, George W. Bush, right this moment, is criticizing President Trump. Yeah. So in the 20th century, we see a, a steady progression, with a few exceptions, of President's Trying hard not to inject themselves back into the political fray again. As all things in history, there are a few, there are several notable exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. But the general trend is is not to talk. I mean, we could we could talk, for example, about Theodore Roosevelt uh, at the turn of the 20th century, right. who, when he left the presidency, uh, as I like to think of it, he left the presidency and immediately regretted it,
0: right. <laughs> right. And,
1: and, and and immediately began to, uh, over time, criticize his successor uh, Taft. Uh, and actually called him a, a puzzle wit. Uh-huh. Uh, I love that that <laughs> insult. Uh, and also, um, ultimately, of course, ran against him in 1912, right. uh, which opened the door for Woodrow Wilson to assume the White House. In fact, there's a lot of similarities between the Civil War and the Republican Party today. Between, if you will, the Trumpites and the Bushies, hmm. uh, and what we saw between Taft and Roosevelt, in that both of, in both those cases we see former presidents and current presidents fighting over the mantle of what it really means to be a Republican, right? And consequently. Uh, if history is any guide, that suggests, as in 1912, that the Republicans in the future may split their vote, thereby making things easier for for a Democratic successor to come in.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I also wonder about counsel among uh, former presidents. I would imagine, as you point out, uh, these are there, there aren't very many people who can actually relate to. The job of president. Uh, if you haven't done it, you really don't understand. And so I wonder how common it is, for instance, for a, a current president to go back to a former president and say, "Hey, how did you deal with this? Or what, what do you think about this?" Uh, I, I would imagine that's something you know that that probably happens now and then. But of course, we don't we don't necessarily hear about it.
1: Well, that, that's the thing. A lot of this conversation is done behind closed doors. And, and again, we have a very, very small subset of people here. This is, as you pointed out, um, we right now have the greatest concentration of living presidents in history, and we only have five. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's always, we're always dealing with small numbers, which means personalities matter a great deal. So, for example, um, Richard Nixon, who, say what you will about Richard Nixon, of course he left the presidency in disgrace – Even in disgrace, he was still recognized as one of the leading thinkers on international affairs and foreign policy in the country. Nixon actually winds up writing uh, about a dozen books after he leaves the White House, all of them basically on foreign policy. So it was not surprising then that former presidents, including Bush uh, and Bill Clinton, called up Richard Nixon to ask for advice on foreign policy.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, Richard Nixon also... Uh, offered the advice of whether or not it was solicited. Uh, so th- that is a case where we see a president really engaging behind the scenes in trying to shape policy for the nation, but again, always in foreign policy. Uh, by the same token, there's a, there's a good example of Dwight Eisenhower essentially tutoring and criticizing, but tutoring John Kennedy, mm-hmm. in the first year of the administration in particular, and especially after the failed Bay of Pigs uh, operation, uh, essentially tutoring him in what it means to be a commander, what it means to have direct oversight of things. The, the famous quip is that after the Bay of Pigs went south, uh, Eisenhower was brought in to meet with Kennedy, and Ike basically said to, to Kennedy, well, did you review the final plan?
0: Right, right.
1: To which Kennedy essentially said, no, I presumed it was good and (laughs) vowed never to make that mistake again. But that, it must be stressed, was all done behind closed doors Um, because of the the difficulties of foreign policy at that time, because that is really the beginning of the scary nuclear age. The Cuban Missile Crisis would only be about 18 months later. Um, We really see Eisenhower working hard to try to tutor Kennedy privately rather than publicly. Right.
0: Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. My guest is Jeffrey Engel, director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University, author of the forthcoming book, When the World Seemed New, George H.W. Bush and the End of the Cold War. Uh, You want to join the conversation, talk to us about what you think about former presidents uh, kind of binding together a little bit uh, to get after the current president about his behavior, about his world view. Uh, do you think that's appropriate? Do you think that's helpful, uh, or should they follow the, the 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 more recent custom of keeping all of that to yourself after you leave? The White House. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Jeffrey, I want to ask you about the presidency itself and how it may be changing. Uh, I think uh, a lot of folks have, have noted that President Trump is approaching this very differently <clears throat> from not only his immediate predecessors but but really from from anybody else uh, do, do you think he is changing the institution though uh, is he is he, is he setting a pattern that we will see sort of unfold again and again in the future or is this just an aberration? Uh, one person who has decided to, to, to behave differently than everyone else?
1: Well, that's and that's really a, a great question in the $64 question. So I'm going to give you the classic historian's <laughs> answer, which right. is to say, well, it's too soon to tell. We'll see, um, right? And, and, right but, but, I want, but I want to explain what I mean by that, not just as a quip, in that right now, everything that Trump is doing in the way that he is holding the office, in the way that he is... Um, engaging in political spats, even down to the most basic Twitter level, uh-huh. um, the way that he is, in many ways, trying to describe himself as a leader of his movement, as opposed to a leader of the entire country. Right. And frankly, and this is, I think, what really animates both Obama and, uh, and George W. Bush, um, simply not acting like a proper gentleman uh, right. and not holding respect for the office, if you will, and holding the office's respect. Trump is doing all those things. And if he is reelected and if his successors come in and act the same way, then we can honestly say the presidency has fundamentally changed.
0: Yeah.
1: It is entirely possible, though, that uh, come election time, the American people will choose to go back to the old style. You know, somebody might run against Trump who says, uh, My basic appeal is that I am not going to tweet. My basic appeal is I'm, go- I'm not going to get into fights. I'm not going to criticize people left, right, and center. Sure. Uh, I'm going to be a calm president, if you will. Um, if that's the case, then I think we could say that the presidency would likely revert back to the norm. Yeah. And, and that's really what I think is at the heart of what Obama and uh, George W. Bush were, were arguing, that, that the way in which President Trump is framing himself as not so much the father of the country, the the leader of the country, but as the leader of a particular of a faction, set of people yeah. and not everyone. That's at the heart of their criticism. That's something which they find very uh, dangerous and distasteful, having lived in that office.
0: Yeah, I mean, the 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 parallel, I guess that that has leapt to my mind a couple of times over this last ten months. Really, is to. Uh, the, the Franklin Roosevelt presidency and, and his use of radio at that time, right, to talk directly to the people as opposed to through the filter of, of uh, the media. In, in some ways, uh, President Trump is adopting, I guess, that same kind of, of alteration of the way that the president relates to the citizens.
1: I, th- I think that's true. And I, I think one, one way to understand that is that presidents have always tried to speak directly to the people mm-hmm. as much as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's going back. That's why George Washington's farewell address was published and not delivered. Yes. Um, you know, that is why Woodrow Wilson... Actually, for the first time, spoke to Congress as opposed to delivering written addresses, say for the State of the Union. Again, as you mentioned, that's why Franklin Roosevelt used used radio, and why his successors so ably tried to use television. Television sure. allowed them to speak directly to the voter uh, and directly to the citizen, and in many cases, directly to the entire world. So, the the point behind Trump's tweeting is exactly what any other politician would do. Mm -hmm. Um, The question, though, is how does one use that medium? How does one engage in that medium? And uh, it is, is, as a a presidential historian, it is frankly astounding to me that uh, President Trump basically gets into arguments with common people over Twitter and common stories over Twitter, which is something that we used to say, a president wouldn't have time for uh, that. A president has to con- concern himself with the broad needs of the country, not with the he said, she said of of events. And I'll give you one great example, which is you know, in the last week, of course, we've all been discussing um, President Trump's um, say, let's say um, misguided conversation with a, an army war widow, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a gold star widow, um, putting aside everything about what we think happened, what we think it means that happen, happened, what, what we believe should have been the re- proper role of all the actors. What's really fascinating to me is that President Trump, after the fact, tweeted about that incident yes. and tweeted about one conversation and tweeted about press reports about one conversation, which previous presidents, frankly, would have said, a, I don't have time for that, <laughs> and B, that is beneath the dignity of my office. Right. Um, if, if you think that this should have been a private conversation, a President Obama or a President George W. Bush might have said, I'm not going to just reveal my discussion with a, with a widow with you, Right. period. I'm just not going to talk about it. End of story, it. right. right. Uh, so that, I think, is really the, the fascinating way in which Trump is not so much using the medium, but using the medium and pitching it at a different level. Yeah.
0: Okay. Jeffrey Engel, director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University, author of the forthcoming book, When the World Seemed New, George H.W. Bush and the End of the Cold War. Thank you very much for being here on Detroit Today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Good to talk to you. Yes.
0: Up next, we'll talk with the Jerusalem Post's intelligence, terrorism, and legal analyst about America's relationship with the Middle East in the Trump era. Stay with us on Detroit Today.